This morning, you know, sometimes in introductions we start with something humorous, and last week we had the whole cat and the rat story, and some of you identified with different elements of that story. Today I want to start a little sobering, if that's okay, and um, then move to hope and move to what God says about situations we're in. Jim, as he was praying this morning, thank you, Jim, was praying a little bit for our culture. And does it seem like our culture is in decline? Yeah. I heard laughter, <laughs> so, some sarcastic laughter. Yeah, we look every day and we look at the news and we hear the news and I guess no one really reads papers anymore, but they read it on, on their screen and the news is disturbing every day. This week was particularly disturbing and if you missed it, it's something you should have your eyes open for because it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg, I would believe. And I don't usually get into politics too much here, maybe outside of, of, of the pulpit, but It's interesting because in Kentucky, we have a a county clerk that this morning right now is sitting in jail because of what she believes, because of her Christianity. And she refused to issue marriage licenses to, to gay couples. In fact, she refused to issue all marriage licenses, so that way it wasn't discriminatory. She's, but, but because of her faith in God, she accepted the Lord about four years ago. Because of her faith in God, she said, I cannot violate God's truth. And God's principles. And it's been going through the courts and various appeals. And, and this week, U.S. District Judge, Judge David Bunning, ordered her to jail for refusing to obey an order of the court requiring issuing these licenses. They didn't just fire her for not doing her duty. Let's go with jail. And the judge, in, in an act of arrogance, said, she is in jail because I think this is the best way to change her views. And he said she will be in jail until she changes what she believes and is willing to issue those licenses. Kentucky, guys. And that was predicted. That was predicted to come quickly. And we're seeing it already. We're seeing all kinds of of persecution on people of faith and people for what they believe. And I think of Kim right now as she sits in jail this morning, not in a church service, not able to worship, not with the freedom to worship in America. What does God have to say to her? What does God have to say to any of us when we are in situations that don't seem fair, that don't seem right, that seem dark, that seem hopeless? What does God have to say to those situations? This morning, as we come to three more names of God, all three of them are exactly what we need to hear as we look at situations like this. As we look at situations in our own lives, maybe loss of work, maybe health issues, maybe loved ones that have either moved away or have passed away, and we're we're just wondering how we're even going to cope with some things, and we don't understand life around us. God says, I am Father. I am your portion. I am with you. I am there. How we need that. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, encourage us in a challenging, dark, declining culture. Encourage us in a Genesis 3 world that has been so just wreaked by sin and changed by sin from what you intended. Lord, remind us of your promises, that you are with us, that you are here, that you have not forgotten, and that you have a plan that ends far differently 
than what Satan would like to have. Thank you, God. May we look to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Start with the first name of God. In your notes, you see Father. And this is one of those names of God that we use a lot, right? When I pray, I almost always pray, God, our Father. And, And as I've I've just started listening to some of you pray this week. I'm like, ah, they're using Father. We we use it a lot. And one of the things that can happen is we can lose the significance of a word or a phrase that we use often. It can happen with anything. When, when, when we see something often, we stop thinking about it. It can happen with songs we sing. It can happen with favorite verses. It can happen with names of God. So when we come to Father, I, I just want to start with a question. Uh, thinking of earthly fathers, what does a father provide for the family? What should a father provide for a family? Maybe I need to ask that. Stability, protection, love, guidance. Are you guys reading ahead in the notes? (laughs) I don't know if I put the five things in your notes, but you're, you're hitting them. Anything else? What does the father provide? Shelter, love, spiritual leading, instruction. Correction. That was toward the end of our list, wasn't it? <laughs> Interesting. I think that would have been toward the end of my, my kids' list, too. I don't know. That's not my favorite thing. But fathers provide all these things. And so is it, isn't it interesting that God chooses the image of father as one of his names? In the Old Testament, in the, the Hebrew, the word for father is ab. A-B. Pretty simple, right? Ab. In the New Testament, it's pater. Now, it's interesting, in the New Testament, that's used 271 times of God. It's a common name, and so you'll, you'll see it. I just started, as I did my reading this week, too, through the New Testament, I, you know how you're, when you start looking for something, you see it all the time? You, you buy a new car, and all of a sudden, everybody on the road has the car you just bought because you see it all the time? You're, why? Because you're looking. And so this week, I'm reading the New Testament, and Father is used over and over and over again. I'm like, wow, that's great. But this word simply means father in a spiritual sense or in a physical sense. We know God is our our father in a spiritual adoptive sense. It's used by Jesus of God. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls God the father 156 times. So this is his most common name for God the father because that is his father. It's one of his favorites. But it's also used of God's relationship to us. A couple of examples in the New Testament, Philippians 4.20 to, in, the, in the conclusion of that book or towards the end, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul is reminding us that he is God, but he is also Father. In Isaiah sixty three sixteen, for you are our Father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us and he's changing identities there or, or ties there, family ties, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. And so we see this picture of God as Father. And so what does that mean to us? How does that, that apply to us? And I, I want to focus in on another word, a third word that's used for Father three times in the New Testament, Abba. And we see that in Scripture, don't we? Abba, Father. And it, it's, it's a, a carryover word from Aramaic, actually, into the Hebrew culture. If you go to, to Israel today, they still call their, their dads Abba. It's, it's really fun because we were sitting there and our guide brought some of his, his kids along and they're like, Abba, Abba. And I'm like, hey, I know that word. It was nice to hear something I knew, but it, it meant daddy. It meant this relationship, this close relationship. Papa, 
might be a good translation for Abba. And it's used three times in the New Testament. And so we have hundreds of verses we can look at, but I'd like to focus in on these because I think they help us understand why God's name is Father. Turn with me to Romans eight fifteen through 17. And we'll look at the first one. It's actually the second usage, but the first one I want to look at. Romans eight fifteen to 17. And remember when you see Abba, think a tender, affectionate relationship, a personal relationship full of love, not a distant, far-off relationship. Romans eight fifteen through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's what we call God. The Spirit Himself bear witness, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that he, we may also be glorified with Him. You see the, the first point under understanding the name Father is all those who believe are adopted by the Father as real children of God. All those who believe are adopted by the Father as real children of God. And when you think of adoption, it's very different from just being like a father to somebody, right? If, if one of the, the kids here would say, Pastor Ron, you're like a father to me. That's very different than, than Jeffrey saying, you're like a father to me. What made it different? I've adopted Jeffrey. He's part of my family. He is my son. In every sense, the reality of it is he is my son and, and when we talk about adoption here in Romans 8, that we receive the spirit of adoption as sons, God isn't like a father to us. He is our father. And that's a very important distinction of relationship. It's a real relationship, not just a contrived thing that we, we do to make ourselves feel better. He's dad, papa, and that will never change. All those who believe are adopted by the father as real children of God. 1 John 3, one carries the same theme. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. We are children of God. The world doesn't know us because we now are part of a different family, not just like part of a different family. And so when we think of God as Father, we should think that we are adopted fully into the family, fully loved into the family. What a great picture of salvation. God has brought us in through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. And if we repent and believe on Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters of the King with full inheritance to eternity with God dwelling with Him. Don't take that lightly. We are adopted. It's part of the word Father. Second part there is children are to honor and obey their father. It's a close relationship. It's an intimate relationship. But it's still a relationship of authority and structure, right? Of leading. And, and you can't separate the two. And here we jump back to Mark fourteen thirty six. another time that Abba is used. This time Jesus is using it of, of God the Father. And catch what he says. And he said, Abba, Father. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane here. He's agonizing over what he knows is about to happen the next day. And he's praying that God would find another way. If there's another way, let this cup pass from me. 
And he said, Abba, Father. And in his deepest, I think his deepest agony on his life on earth, he he goes to the Father and says, Abba, Papa. If, or he says, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And we see Jesus, the perfect example of what it means to be in a father-child relationship with God the Father. It means saying, not my will, but yours be done. I trust you, you're dad. And Jesus exemplified that. But he still came and asked, because a child can come to, to Papa, right? A child can come to Papa and climb up on their lap and say, oh, could we do this? And, and, and if it's grandpa, they usually get their way. But um, it's a close relationship where we can do that, but in the context of your will be done, not mine. Shows the obedience side of the word father. Isaiah 64, 8, a verse we looked at last week, but again, the word father is used, the, the name father. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. And so we see that, that as we're just clay in the potter's hand, children are to obey their fathers in that same way. We're the work of His hand. Third point you have there is God wants our father-child relationship with Him to be close and intimate. To be close and intimate. And this is where I think our, our culture and different cultures have really masked the, the beauty of the word father. Because sometimes when we think father, we think distant, never there, I hardly know him. And that's not how God intended it. That's not how he created Adam and Eve. That's not how he created this world to work. He he is the picture of what a father should be. And it's a close and intimate relationship. Galatians 4, 4-7 is the third place that Abba, Father, is used in the New Testament. So flip over there, Galatians 4, 4-7. And Paul here uses again this precious name of God. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so he starts with adoption again, and that Jesus paid for that. And then he goes on, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look at that verse. Catch who's doing the action. Who's doing the work. And because you are sons, who did the work to make us sons? Jesus Christ, right? On the cross. That's why we can be sons. That's why we're adopted. Now God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So who's the initiator of an Abba, Father relationship? God. He sends His Spirit into us to say, this is possible. You can call me Daddy. You can call me Papa. I love that. Because it's not just us sort of running after God saying, I hope you notice me, I hope you notice me. Kids do that sometimes, right? It's God saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I am your Abba Father. And in verse 7 he goes on, so you are no longer a slave, a change of relationship. You are no longer a slave or a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, a slave or a servant just does whatever the master says. And there's no relationship there. There's no love. There's no care. There's no intimacy. 
a father-child relationship, the children still follow the leadership of the father, but there's an intimacy in a relationship. Isn't this great? God says he's father. He wants a real relationship, an intimate relationship. He wants a permanent relationship. When you think of adoption, once a child is adopted, that's for life. When we stood in front of the judge with with Jeffrey and Alicia, he said, will you be their parents for the rest of their lives and the rest of your life? Pretty cool. We said, yeah, absolutely. Nothing ever changes that. Nothing they do, nothing we do. They are our children. God wants that kind of permanent relationship with us. We are adopted for life. When we accept Christ, when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ and turn our lives to Him, we are sons and daughters of the King forever. Not just until we blow it. There's great comfort in that. Those are three things that we see about Father out of Abba. There's so much more we could, we could look at. And so I, I just lumped some things together, sort of like you shared. Yahweh is everything a father should be. He's everything a father should be. And dads, that means he's a great example for us of what we should be as earthly fathers. We need to start thinking intentionally, okay, how is God a father to us? That's what I need to be to my family, to my kids. And I mentioned five things there. Dads protect, provide, lead, love, and discipline. Almost all the words you shared. Dads protect, provide, lead, love, and discipline. Let me just read a verse that that talks about God's work on each of those. We won't give a lot of commentary, but just listen to God's Word. God protects. He gives security. John 10, 28-30. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What a great picture of protection. We were walking out of the angel game last night. Maybe a little bit of commentary. We were walking out of the angel game last night and, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of cars around us and we're trying to get to our parking spot. It just you know, it gets a little crazy after a game. And Alicia just comes up next to me and grabs my hand. And then she's fine. Why? Because now Dad's protecting. Dad's there with her. We make our way through, and once all the danger was gone, she was off again. Got to another group of cars. All of a sudden, this little hand was in mine again. What a picture of God our Father. He protects. Dads provide the provision of the Lord. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We talk a lot about provision, but isn't the Holy Spirit the ultimate provision? That's the ultimate. God leads as a father and guides. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Jeremiah 31, 9 continues this. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in, straight, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. God our Father leads us when we don't know where to go. A father loves with compassion and care. 
Psalm 68, 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. Psalm 103, 13 and 14, As a father shows compassion to his children, so, the, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And we see pictures of God's compassion. He remembers that we are dust even when we fail. He loves us and He's compassionate. He knows our weaknesses. But God our Father also disciplines. And praise God that He does. In Hebrews 12, 7 and 10, it is for discipline that you have to, have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Oh man. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. When we think of God our Father, think of His protection, think of His provision, think of His leading, think of His love and compassion and care, think of His discipline. Those are all parts of what that name means. Implications and applications. For each name of God that we've studied, we come back to, okay, what are some of the implications or applications to, to everyday life? And the first one I have there is see the relationship side of our faith. It's easy to see Christianity as a series of do's and don'ts. And I need to do this, I don't need to do this, and, and, and following certain commands. But the name Father reminds us that it's not just servant and master, it's father-child. And that's relationship. So see the relationship side of our faith. Like we said, this gives us confidence to come to God in prayer as we're crawling up on Dad's lap and sharing our heart. We've talked a couple times about the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember how it starts? Our Father who are in heaven. It starts with relationship. Then it goes to some of the requests. And it actually goes back to Father several verses later when it talks about His forgiveness. But see the relationship side of our faith. Look for ways to see how God is caring for you. Second application, I I just love the phrase, don't worry, God's got this. Or dad's got this. And I I, I use that with my kids sometimes. They're worried about things. They're like, I'll take care of it. Okay. And they trust and they believe, which is scary. Because I'm not perfect. I may not be able to fix whatever it is. But God can. Our Heavenly Father, when He says not to worry... He doesn't fail us. Don't worry, Dad's got this. Third application is the Father is to have priority in our life. The Father is to have priority in our lives. This is the obedience side that we talked about. His fatherly provision allows us not to worry because He's got it, but that leads to seeking Him above all else because it frees us to serve Him. In Matthew 6, 32 and 33, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. He's talking about worrying about what you'll wear and, and, and all these earthly things. And it says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And he uses Father here in this context. And then the very next verse, which sometimes we quote by itself, but the context is a Father that's meeting all our needs and taking care of us. The very next verse is, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Isn't that beautiful? God's got it, so you have time and energy to seek Him 
because you don't have to worry about all the other stuff. So when we think of implications of God as Father, it's to run to Him and seek Him and to serve Him. Last one. We've talked about this in other messages, but, it, but it's very much worth noting here. If God's our Father, we're related. We're related. And so it creates a sibling relationship with other believers. And we've better learn how to be brothers and sisters in Christ because we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ for a long time. Last night was a great, fun illustration of just wonderful fellowship together. Dodgers and Angels fans sitting side by side, enjoying a game. No, but nobody died. It was great. Dodger fan and Angels fans. Okay, yeah. One Dodger fan. <laughs> we, we say that, we, we laugh about that, but we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have something so much greater than anything else here on earth that we have in common. So we need to make sure we show that and act like that. First name of God that helps us in dark times, in a dark culture, is that God is our Father. Second name of God, which is just used in a few verses, but it's a powerful name, is the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. And if you happen to walk by the back, you saw the name portion on the back, just to remind us. And in Hebrew, that's Yahweh, Halek. And the idea behind portion is that He is our share. It was used for share. It was used for inheritance. But in, in the context that we see in Scripture, it's used to say He is sufficient or enough for anything we need. He's given us the portion that I need. No matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what circumstances I'm in, He is my portion. Turn with me to, to a couple of Psalms. We'll look at two of the Psalms and Lamentations there. There's a couple of verses, other verses written there. But let's turn to Psalm 73. Interesting psalm. Psalm 73. And as so many of the psalms, we, we see the psalmist just pour out their hearts throughout the psalm and then come to a conclusion about God. This is the first place, actually, where the name portion is used of God in Scripture. And um, if, you, if you look at how the psalmist is reading, and I can't read the whole psalm, I, I wish we had time to do that, but he starts, and look at verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the psalmist here is trying to make sense, why aren't the wicked getting theirs yet? Why do they seem like they're prospering and I'm getting all the hardship? Ever felt that way? That's where he's coming from. It's just very real. I appreciate that. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Do you see some angst there? Some frustration? Goes on to talks about their pride and some other things about them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? In verse 11, they turn their back on him in verse 10. 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And this, the, the author is processing why in this world does wickedness seem to win sometimes. Verse 14, for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Does that just turn your heart a little bit to read that? The heart goes out to this person. The heartache, the hardship. 
verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And that's the turning point in this psalm as he now begins to focus on what God is doing and how God is working. Jump down to verse 26, and that's where the, the name portion is given to God. Actually, we'll start at 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desired, desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen? And I wanted to sort of give us a survey of the psalm before that to see where this guy was at. He's in the depths, right? He's struggling. And so it's not when life is good that he says, oh, and God is my portion. It is when life is horrible and he doesn't understand it that he says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God, Elohim, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a beautiful picture of how our Father comes and is with us and is enough and sustains us. Nothing else matters. Nothing else provides what we need to get through those situations, quite frankly. Nothing else is our portion. Psalm 119.57 says, Yahweh is my portion. I promise to keep your words. And then the verses that Joshua read this morning that are in your worship folder that I think just bring this idea of portion completely it brings it to a picture in my head because jeremiah was the weeping prophet he was the prophet that never saw israel turn back to god he, he only prophesied horrible things for israel i bet he was loved huh he was the bad guy and and, and in lamentations he, he the weeping prophet is just lamenting about all this and he comes to the end of lamentations and he he writes this incredible truth the steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion. And he uses the name of God there. Yahweh Halek. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, because he's my portion, therefore I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. Village, our God is our portion no matter what you're going through today. No matter what you're facing. No matter what happens in our culture, Yahweh is our portion. He knows us. He loves us. He will sustain us. He gives us all we need. When we think of implications or applications, just have one. Seek Yahweh to be your portion rather than temporary solutions. So here's the deal. Sometimes we go to God last, right? We try all these other things to deal with situations, to, to cope, to get through. And then at the end, we're like, oh, maybe I should pray. Maybe no one else has gone through that. But I, think, I think it's pretty common. Yahweh is our, our portion. He's the only real portion. Everything else is temporary or partial and it never satisfies because it's not enough. Only Yahweh is enough. Hope and strength are from Him. Self-medication is from other, other means. Ways to forget about it for a while but not to solve it. 
So the question is, who do I rely on? When I'm struggling, who do I rely on? Maybe I rely on just a really optimistic personality. Tomorrow it's all going to be better. Some call that silliness, folly. Maybe I rely on other people and I'm always going to someone else and looking for encouragement. And don't get me wrong, we should encourage one another, but am I relying on that or am I relying on Yahweh? Some turn to drink or drugs to to drown their sorrows and to forget for a while. Some turn to success and career. Maybe building a big nest egg so that way I'm secure and I don't have to rely on anyone. The problem is all of those things are temporary. They all fade. The only portion we have that is sustaining is Yahweh. So turn to Him. Make sure you pray about every situation you're in and go to Him quickly in prayer. Maybe take some verses that are encouraging about Yahweh being your portion or your Father and put them places if you're going through things where you're going to read them throughout the day because His Word will not return void. Praise God that hope and strength is from Him. I cling to this name. He is my portion. The last name we want to talk about this morning is in Ezekiel 48.35. It's only used as a name once in Scripture. But the concept, the themes of this name are throughout all of Scripture. And we'll, we'll spend some time just sort of tracing that. And that's the Lord is there. We see that name here. And when I was studying, I'm like, well, that's just a really odd name for God. The Lord is there. And, you know, I don't go to any of you and say, hey, AJ is there. How are you doing today? But God is communicating something through his name. And technically, as, we, as we'll look at the text, this is a name of his city. Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is called Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. But it's using his name and his identity as the city's name. And so... Um, virtually every scholar says this is considered a name of God as well and His name is being placed on His city. But when we say Yahweh is there, we're speaking very very simply. It's not a profound... I mean, it is profound, but it's not uh, difficult that God's presence is with us. He is with us. As we look at the text, we'll, we'll trace that through. See, the New Jerusalem at the end of Scripture in Revelation 21 It's a bookend. It serves as a bookend to Genesis 1 and 2, right? So let me give you just sort of big, big theme of Scripture. Genesis 1 and 2, God created man and woman. He created all of creation for His glory, right? And did He, how did He create them in relationship to Him? He created them in personal relationship with Him, with no barriers. They walked together. In Genesis 3, 8, after the fall, what was the question? They, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He was there to meet with them. God created perfect fellowship with our Father, with our portion. And then the fall. And sin interrupted that. And Adam and Eve turned their back on God. They hid from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the beauty that God had created was desecrated by sin. Now what I was saying about bookends, if you go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, there is a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll read that at the end today. And we see that God's presence is back with His people in intimate, close, direct relationship. But throughout Scripture then, it's a story of that relationship with God and restoring that relationship with God. We see that sin separated it 
But think about this. When, when the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, was God with them? How was He with them? Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. That was His presence. As they wandered through the wilderness, they built a tabernacle and that became the dwelling place of God. He was in their midst and His glory would come and dwell in that place as they worshipped Him. When they finally settled in the land, what did they build for, for God's presence? Temple. And we see the glory of the Lord filling the temple. All of those things were, were signs that God wanted to be present with His people. Just like He wants to be our Abba Father. But in each case, the people did not continue to follow God. We studied through, through Judges and we, we saw some of it in Joshua that people kept turning their back on God throughout that time period. And it's the cycle that we see throughout Scripture. God comes close to His people. He makes a way for His people to draw near to Him. And they do for a time. And then they walk away. And so when we come to this name, the Lord is there, sort of jumping ahead. We come to Israel now because they've walked away from God, because of their disobedience to God, they're carted off to Babylon for 70 years and they're in captivity to, to Babylon. Ezekiel was probably taken into captivity in Babylon during the second time. There were three different times that the kings came in and, and took people away. Ezekiel was probably part of that second time out. So he is prophesying from captivity in Babylon, a time of great hope, right? No, a time where they don't think God is with them. A time where God feels absent but because they turned their back on His commands and stopped worshiping Him. And we see throughout the first part of Ezekiel that Ezekiel is, is prophesying just that, God's judgment. In Ezekiel 10 and 11, we, he prophesies that the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. Think about that. The presence of the Lord left Israel because of their disobedience. The relay, and he's speaking of relationship there. That relationship is broken. And then you move along in Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel gets word in Babylon that the city has fallen. The temple has fallen. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, nothing like being specific, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been struck down. And if I'm Ezekiel, that point is despair. It's an all-is-lost moment. But that's actually where the book changes. Interestingly enough, his prophecies change. He's still in Babylon. He's still in captivity. Life, God still seems distant. And the rest of the book is about if his people will come to him, God restoring his people to himself. In Exodus 37, or Ezekiel 37, sorry, we read, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned. I will cleanse them. And listen to this, this terms of, of being there. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. A few verses later, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. And he's talking about the end of time here, the, the ultimate end game. My dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I get chills when I read that. He will be their God. They will be His people because I know He will be my God and I will be His Son. And so we get to the very last verse of Ezekiel, this very difficult book written in captivity, a time of no hope. And the very last verse says in 48.35, The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits and the name of the city from that time on shall be 
The Lord is there. Yahweh Shema. And it's a promise that God is still seeking relationship. That God is still seeking to be with them. Some authors call this the climax of the Old Old Testament revelation of the names of God. They might be right. Because it just encapsulates everything we know about God and says, I want relationship with you. Psalm 139, 7-9 gives us the same idea. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, he's saying you are there in all those things. Moving ahead in history, so we know that the children of Israel did eventually come back, but it was in, in, a, in a tension and under rule of others because really this, this promise is for the future. And we see God working on this plan, His, His beautiful plan with Jesus because Jesus is Yahweh who is with us. In Matthew one twenty three, and, and catch, this is still about the God who is here, the Lord who is here. In Matthew one twenty three, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yahweh Shema, the God who is there. In John 1.14, and we'll come back to these a little bit as we look at the names of Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled, tented. He made His dwelling with us. He is not a far off God. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. But even then, in that same chapter, it says he was rejected by those that were there. And people still turn their back on God's desire for relationship and to be with his people. And so then we see after the cross and salvation, we see that now in in this age that God is present in every believer, a very real presence. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement is the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. We are that temple. We are that dwelling. And walk among them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Same wording. Yahweh is here. He will be our God. And we will be His people. It's verses of relationship. God not only is present in every believer, but He's present in His church. In Ephesians 2.22, in Him, you, and that's a plural you, y'all, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As we come together, as we are God's church, as we fellowship, as we love each other, as we worship, we are a dwelling place for God because He's Yahweh Shema, the God who is there. A couple of applications of this name of God. First, we are never alone or abandoned. And so we live fully for God. We are never alone or abandoned and so we feel, live fully for God. Sometimes you feel it. That's where our head has to come, outweigh our heart. Truth has to control emotions. Because when we don't feel God is present, He is still with us if we know Him as our, our Savior. We are never alone or abandoned. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of God, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
But then catch the next verse, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he ties stepping out in faith for him with his presence, that he's Yahweh Shema. He's there. He's with us. Hebrews 13.5 ties the same thing to, to overcoming temptation. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. Second implication, our gathering will be different because God is here. When we get together, this isn't just a social club. We aren't just getting together as a group of 200 people that don't want to watch football on Sunday morning. I like football. We're getting together because God is here. Because this is a chance to come and worship our Father, our portion, the God who is there. Spurgeon wrote this, Whenever it can be said of an assembly, the Lord is there, unity will be created and fostered. Show me a church that quarrels, a church that is split up into cliques, a church that is divided with personal ambitions, contrary doctrines and opposing schemes, and I am sure that the Lord is not there. Now, yes, he's everywhere, but he's talking his, his relational presence. We will be different if we truly understand Yahweh Shema, that he is here. And he is part of everything we do here. Every word I say to a brother or sister in Christ. He sees every brother or sister in Christ that I may just walk by and, and in anger ignore. He sees our interaction. He is here and we are different. The third application that I want to mention, and, and I know so many are going through so many things. I've talked with many of you this week. We are talking as an elder board yesterday and we just spent time praying for the church, for all the, the, the trials, things that are outside of our control. But the third application, in our deepest difficulty, God is still there He is still Father, and He is still our portion. And I just wrote one word in my notes after that. Hope. Hope. Jim prayed that this morning. Hope. Because God is our Father, He is our portion, and He is here. I want to end with the bookend, Revelation 21, 3-4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's hope, guys. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's remember that God is Father, He's our portion, and He is there. Let's bow and thank God for His sacrifice. Lord God, thank You. Thank You for Your work on the cross. Thank You that we can call You Dad. What a special name that only those in in Your family can call You. Only my three kids can call me Dad. But we can all that believe call You Father. Thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And we can know that no matter what we feel. Lord, we honor you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.